from the beautiful and palatial UltimateSportsTalk.com radio studios. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk show for this Sweet 16 Thursday night. Glad to have you along this evening. And, of course, the Sweet 16 is going to be taking off, tipping off here in just a few minutes. We've got four games tonight, four games tomorrow night, and we've got two great guests for you here this evening on tonight's show. And let's talk about all of those. There are three number one seeds left. The Major League Baseball season began last week, but it gets underway Sunday and Monday in earnest. The Miami Heat and Indiana Pacers went back in time last night. And it shows just how much the league has changed and how far it has to go. The NFL has some new rules. Does a degree matter for a college basketball coach? And tonight, as I said, we've got two great guests. Braden Flack from the coachandthekid.com and the Coach and the Kid radio show in Rock Springs on 91.3 will be joining us here in our first half hour. And in the second half hour, we're going to be talking with Jen Rainwater, who's a blogger for the Oakland A's and the American League West on okaysoxgirl.blogspot.com. That's all coming up on tonight's show. But, of course, as I always say, but first... To the Sweet 16, and they'll get down to the Elite Eight this weekend, and then after this weekend passes us by, we'll be going to the Final Four. Here's what's going on in college basketball for tonight in the NCAA tournament, and they're just about ready to tip off here in a few minutes, where Dayton, the Cinderella story in this year's tournament, still in it, and they are going to be playing Stanford. That game is going to tip off here in about 10 minutes. Also tonight, tipping off in about a half an hour, the Baylor Bears will be taking on number two seeded Wisconsin. Now, in the late games for this evening, UCLA will be playing number one Florida. And then in the second late game, San Diego State will be playing Arizona. Now that's a look at tonight's games. Tomorrow night's games, the early games are number 11 Tennessee playing number two Michigan and Connecticut We'll be tipping it off against Iowa State. And in the late games for tomorrow night, it will be Kentucky taking on Louisville. That's the first late game. And the second late game, Michigan State will be taking on Virginia. So that's a look at the games for tonight in college basketball. And boy, if I had to pick them, and what the heck, I might as well. You've got Dayton playing Stanford tonight. I've got to go with Dayton. I think they're on a roll, and I think they're going to beat Stanford this evening. Baylor will play Wisconsin. And, you know, I said Wisconsin was going to make it to the championship game, but the way Baylor's playing, I think Baylor's too athletic for Wisconsin tonight. UCLA playing Florida. Something tells me UCLA is going to play a lot better than what Florida will. But... I'm going to go with my head. Florida to win that game. And San Diego State against Arizona. I've been impressed with San Diego State all year long. No reason to stop right now. I'm going to take the big upset. San Diego State tonight to beat number one Arizona. Now that is how I'm looking at what is happening in the NCAA tournament for tonight. Is it going to end up that way? I'm not sure, but we'll find out. Well, a big ruling in college football came down this week. The Chicago District of the National Labor Relations Board ruled on Wednesday that Northwestern football players qualify as employees of the university and can unionize. NLR, NLRB Regional Director Peter Sung Orr cited the players' time commitment to their sport and the fact that their scholarships are tied directly 
to their performance on the field as reasons for granting them the union rights. ESPN legal analyst Lester Munson spoke yesterday on what this all means for the NCAA, the colleges around the United States, and, of course, the players. For Northwestern and for all other private universities, uh, they must now face the prospect that uh, scholarship athletes in football uh, and in men's basketball will be able to form unions, will have a voice in the management uh, of their lives on the campus, will have a voice in practice schedules, will be able to bargain for rights and for privileges that would have been unthinkable uh, several years ago for scholarship athletes. It's a blockbuster decision, and it could easily begin a process now that could change the entire face of college sports. From what I know of the Northwestern reaction, the school is stunned and amazed at the decision. They were surprised when the players began this process. The university took it seriously and presented all of the evidence it could figure out to present, and even with all these officials testifying and with all the efforts that Northwestern made, they have now suffered a defeat uh, that will be the talk of every university across the country for the next few weeks. The next step for the Northwestern players is to demand a secret ballot election in which each scholarship player who has eligibility left will be permitted to vote yes or no on the formation of a union. While that is going on, Northwestern will file its appeal. They must file it by April 9th, and then the next level up, the Labor Board in Washington, D.C., will review this decision, will reconsider it, and will either agree with it or disagree with it. We will know that in a matter of three or four months. Well, keep in mind that this doesn't apply to state schools, only private schools so far. So schools like Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska, state universities, they don't have to adhere to this ruling. So not only does Northwestern, which is a private school, disagree with the ruling by the NLRB, but the Big Ten also does too, and released a statement that read, while we respect the process followed by the National Labor Relations Board, we disagree with the ruling. We don't believe that student-athletes are university employees. The issues raised during the hearings are already being discussed at the national level, and we believe that students should be part of the conversation. It was a sentiment shared by all of the big NCAA conferences, including the SEC. Now, former Northwestern quarterback Kane Coulter is the one that really spearheaded this movement at Northwestern. And he says, this isn't about the athletes being paid. It's about medical protection. We're taking steps, uh, you know, on our journey to secure basic protections and, and basic rights. You know, number one, I think you have to look at the medical side of things. You know, right now the NCAA doesn't guarantee that any of our medical bills will be paid, whether you're a current player or especially a former player. And as in all sports, you know, injuries are a part of it. And, you know, when we're wearing our school colors and, and sacrificing a lot, we should expect that, you know, our medical bills should, should be taken care of. You know, that, that's the major part. But um, I think there definitely needs to be, you know, some academic support. When you look at the graduation rate for um, college football players across the nation, it's, it's right around 50%. And that's not, you know, setting up these players for success down, uh, down the line and outside of their sport. So there's a lot of things that this union will be able to, to bargain for and, and represent the players and, and hopefully create a better experience for, for all the players. The NCAA has been under increasing scrutiny over its amateurism rules and is fighting a class action federal lawsuit by former players seeking a cut of the billions of dollars generated from live broadcast, memorabilia sales, and video games. Other lawsuits allege that the NCAA failed to protect players from debilitating head injuries. This is going to be an interesting landmark case, to be real honest. This is going to be one that even though Kane Coulter says does not involve players being paid, in the next few years, that is just what this ruling could develop into.
While speaking about some things changing, one day after approving a rule to allow referees to consult with officiating departments in New York during replay reviews, the league came to a decision on the rest of the rule proposals on the docket. Here's a quick summary of the measures from NFL insiders Pete Prisco and Jason Lockenfora. You know what, sometimes somebody kicks it, it is difficult to tell. The ones that are skying, they're kind of skewing one way or the other. Did it definitely clear that plane? So I don't have a problem with that one. Um, I'm interested to see. I think eventually we're going to see changes to the extra point. Now, they've tabled the idea of the, that the Patriots put forth about extra points from the 25, but in weeks one and two of the preseason, they're going to t- do PAT snap from the 20. I, I think this is one of those where if, if you hold your finger up, you see which way the wind's blowing. They're going to adjust this one way or the other. I got a simple solution to all of those problems. Eliminate special teams. Just play football. It'd be safer. The game would be safer. There'd be fewer injuries. Uh, you know, people say, well, cut down the roster. No, you don't. You just have backups instead of special teams, guys. Eliminate special teams. I hate special teams. It's not a third of the game. It's one-sixteenth of the game. Eliminate them. Yeah, well, as they noted, though, in the competition committee press conference, the idea of eliminating, of moving kickoffs even to the 40 didn't get off the ground. So and then we don't even hear them talking about eliminating kickoffs as they did a couple years ago. So I'm not sure um, that that's headed in the right direction. We didn't get any closure on playoffs, nothing formally, no vote, but I think we both know they're going to expand. They're going to add one game in each conference. Only one team is going to end up getting the buy, that number one seed. But they've got to figure some things out with the, the network partners and as well with the NFLPA next month, meeting with players. I'd probably to figure out how to monetize this thing, quite frankly. I like it, though. I think it's good for the league. You get the one seed becomes even more valuable than it is right now. It's the, the only one that will get a first-round right. buy because you'll play 2-7, 3-6, And the division winners will still get their home playoff game, which I think is good. So I think it's, it's perfect. Yeah. You know, people say the system's good now. Well, Arizona went 10-6 and six last year and would have been in the postseason out. Yeah, there's seasons. Well, yeah, we go back a couple years ago. Seattle right. seven and nine wins the right. division. Right. It was the host of playoff right. games. So right. I, I wish I should probably study it more and look historically who that seven, you know, who that extra team would have been in a lot of conferences and what the record would it be? How often is it an eight and eight, a nine and seven, or a seven and nine team? I'm not sure. I don't have the numbers. But, uh, but I'm a big believer. in it. All right, sportsmanship has become an issue, and no taunting is something they're going to make an emphasis on this year is to cut down the amount of taunting. And I think that has a lot to do with what happened in the Seattle game with Richard Sherman at the end of that game in the championship game. I think it has to do with that. I think it has to do with uh, Trent Williams using the N-word in in sort of retaliation to an official. I think it has a lot to do with the Wells report where the N-word was being thrown around haphazardly by both white and black players, um, and where we obviously had a culture and a climate there that the league is, it became very public and that the league is now seeking to clean up. I just wonder if the idea of enforcing what we've already got written down is going to be enough. If they want to take this to the degree it seems like they want to take it to, I, I just wonder if there's some additional language, some additional measures, something else that might need to be written into that personal conduct policy or workplace policy at some point. Coming soon, a 15-yard penalty for talking on the field. You're going to get that penalty. They yeah, want robots. We, yeah, well, we they want robots. Paper across their it's unbelievable. They want robots playing the game. <laughs> and what they don't realize, the worst taunts are the quiet taunts. Hey, you know, they come over and they sight, you know, come up next to a guy. And they, nobody knows what they're right. saying, but they say yeah. it. So that's hard to, it's Very hard hard to believe. Very hard to officiate. Yeah. yeah, it really is. All right, speaking of officiating, replay. Uh, you know, they're going to be involved. This may be the biggest thing that actually came out of this meeting, because let's not kid ourselves. The idea that this is all going to be decided on the field, that's not the case. And, and, and Dean Blandino, the head of officiating, said it himself today. It could actually expedite things, because by the time the official confers with – the ref confers with his officials, and then he walks over to that booth, they've already watched it several times inside that, that command center in New York, and they may already be able to tell him, hey, brother, you're going to have to look at this once, because we've seen it and we know. So It should be a very interesting – football season now coming up, especially after the draft, after all these rule changes are going to be put into play. Well, let's continue on on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk show. And, of course, uh, Greg Mitchell has been doing a real good job as producer of our program, finding some outstanding young talent around the country. And we've had a couple of them on here in the last couple of months and we're going to bring another one on here this evening and this one was really of interest to me because it's a young man who is out in Rock Springs, Wyoming and of course I spent almost four years out in Wyoming and let's bring to our ultimate sports talk microphones Braden Flack from the coachandthekid.com and the Coach and the Kid radio show in Rock Springs on 91.3 FM. Braden, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you? 
I'm great. How are you? Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me on. Oh, it's great. Glad to have you on tonight. So, let's start out here real quick. For those that are not familiar with the state of Wyoming, tell us all exactly where Rock Springs is located. Well, it's uh, in the southwest area. Um, it's very cold, windy all the time, uh, but that pretty much sums up a lot of Wyoming, in fact. <laughs> but uh, not that it's uh, really pretty out here. Uh, maybe not Rock Springs in general, but Wyoming in general. You know, you got the Teton Mountains, Jackson Hole. It's a, it's a great state to live in. Yeah, I've still got friends out there, and uh, it, it was great. I spent, uh, like I told you on in an email, I spent about four years in Gillette. We'll get into more of that uh, in a little bit. But, Braden, I want to ask you, you have got a blog, you've got a radio show, and you're only 16 years old. Tell us, how did you get started in this, and how did you get the, the radio show developed? Okay, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a long uh, story, but uh, I'll, I'll try to do my best. Uh, but uh, to start off, me and my friend, uh, Ryan Grossnickel, uh, who used to co-host the show with me, actually, uh, we we were interested in doing, you know, kind of a podcast thing. So about, I think it was about two years ago, we set up uh, this thing on Spreaker.com. It's like a kind of similar to, you know, kind of a free website where you can you can do like a, a whatever you want to call it, a, a podcast or, or a radio show. And so we started off that way. Uh, we were getting a little bit, a uh, little popular, and then we moved on. And uh, I actually know the guy that runs the radio station at the college on 91.3 and uh, asked him if I could get my own uh, radio show on, on air. And and uh, because of, that's what I want to go into for my career, sports journalism and broadcasting. So uh, I did it with our basketball coach here in North Springs, and uh, we set it up and came up with the name Coach and the Kid, got some T-shirts made. Um, so, I mean, that, that's kind of the gist of it, and, you know, it's something that uh kind of excited to move forward with. And so far I've had a lot of success. We just hit over uh, 4,000 followers on Twitter a couple days ago, so... It's, uh, it's moving right along. Well, that's outstanding. Congratulations. How did you develop an interest in this, Braden? Uh, I, I don't really know. I mean, uh, Ryan, you know, uh, when we first started off, he, he was like, hey, maybe we should, you know, maybe do a podcast because we both love sports and, you know, we watch them and everything, talk about them. And so I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. And uh, so we started that and I just had a blast doing it for uh, the very first time and Ever since I just fell in love with it. So uh, looking forward to rolling with it and hopefully uh, go to the top someday. Now, were you, have you were born and you've been raised out in Wyoming? Yeah, I was born in Utah, but I've lived in Wyoming my uh, my entire life. Okay. Now, where do you plan on going to, where, where do you plan on going to college after high school? Uh, you know, I haven't really uh, decided that yet. Uh, I'm only a junior still, so I got I got some time to decide. But uh, you know, with the Hathaway scholarship and everything that's offered here, and uh, you know, pretty cheap to attend the University of Wyoming, and uh, I might just do that. Uh, I know that the radio guys that cover the Cowboys uh, sports, I'm going to meet up with in the fall and actually go down to Laramie and uh, sit in on one of their broadcasts, and uh, they they'd like to meet me so. That's a, that's a pretty cool opportunity that I will be uh, participating in coming up here in the next uh, fall season of football for the Wyoming Cowboys. And that's still Dave Walsh and Kevin McKinney, right? It is, yes. Uh, tell them Dave Mitchell said hello. They'll remember me from years ago. Dave, Dave Walsh got the job uh, probably about a year after I got to Wyoming. He's been the announcer for the Cowboys that long. Oh, wow. That was awesome. <laughs> He's an outstanding individual, too. Let's talk a little bit about the Wyoming Cowboys. They had an excellent basketball season this year. Uh, Larry Shiat, actually, uh, Braden, is from the area that we're talking to you from right now. He graduated from the College of Worcester, was a graduate assistant at the University of Akron, and was an assistant coach at Cleveland State. And this is his second tenure as coach of the Cowboys, and he seems to have taken that program and taking it to better heights this year. Yeah, I would uh, I would definitely agree with you on that. 
Um, I only caught a couple games this year because I did travel a lot uh, throughout a lot of the basketball season with uh, with the Rock Springs Tigers here in Rock Springs. Uh, I covered their stats, but I, I did catch a couple games of the Cowboys this year. Um, I was actually going to go and uh, sit up there with Dave Walsh and uh, McKinney uh, at the, I believe it was the Boise State game, but I wasn't able to go because I think we had a state tournament that week. But I did catch a couple games, and uh, really what killed them is when Larry Nance Jr. got injured, uh, and he was out for the rest of the year. Otherwise, I think we'd be seeing the Wyoming Cowboys in the tournament right now. Yeah, they really uh, – I got a chance to see them play probably four or five times this year on on satellite. And uh, when Nance went down, that seemed to really – they they seemed to play better basketball with Nance gone, but they didn't have enough firepower to win ball games, did they, Braden? Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that, um, with that statement. Uh, totally 100% with you there. <laughs> now, you brought up something that is – very interesting, and I know you did it inadvertently, but the fact that the high schools all over Wyoming, people probably don't realize this, they are spread out all over the state, and it's normally a two- to three-hour trip to just go play a Friday or a Saturday afternoon ball game, isn't it? It is. It, uh, it's, it's quite a drive, especially when you play a lot of Cheyenne schools, and uh, you know you got some in Casper with Natrona, uh, County and, and also Kelly Walsh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's at least uh, two to three hours closest uh, to Rock Springs is of course Green River, which is about uh, 15, 20 minutes away from here. So always look forward to the short travel games, but uh, yeah, you're right, it's always around two to three hours to uh, get anywhere around here. Did, now, does Rock Springs, if I remember right, I know in Gillette we did this years ago. Uh, used to travel into Cheyenne and play both teams, just stay overnight and play one team on Friday, the next team on Saturday. Is it still done in Rock Springs that way or not? Uh, they actually, I, I think that they uh, changed it this year um, because uh, one of the coaches in Casper didn't like to do that. So I think it was the guy, Kelly Walsh. Yeah, so I think the coach, Kelly Walsh, uh, wasn't really thrilled about that. So the state changed it, and now we play on different weekends. Um, but we we did do a couple tournaments before the actual season started uh, where we would go down and, and stay a couple days, um, but they, I think they changed that this year. Now, another thing they also do, we're talking with Braden Flack from CoachingTheKid.com. Braden, another thing uh, I wanted to ask you, I noticed at the state tournament level they still do this. You've got to go unbeaten to win a state championship. But because of the distance the teams come, they almost guarantee you at least three games, maybe two, but most teams get to play three at the uh, regional and the state tournament level, don't they? Yes, they do. Um, our team went there, and we lost our first game, uh, ended up winning our second game and played a third game on Saturday, and uh, ended up losing that one. But um, unless you lose two straight, you at least play three, but if you if you lose two, then then you're done. And of course, Gillette uh, won their fifteenth state championship this year, but their first under their their new head coach. Yes, uh, Gillette. They are a kind of a, uh, in my opinion, a Duke type of team, uh, where they they live and die by the three. Uh, Cody Kelly, who is their best player in Gillette, uh, and I believe I can't remember if he what he was voted in on this year. Um, but I believe he made all state. But anyways, uh, Cody Kelly is his name. And uh, the guy is a great three-point shooter and player in general, really. He can uh, go down, score very easily. He can uh, shoot pretty much a three-pointer. Uh, he's getting close to, like, three, four feet behind the three-point line, and he's hucking them up. And uh, really, I think he's got the permission to shoot at will. So, uh, really, I think that's how Gillette uh, ended up winning was they went in and, and they could hit Scott's. Uh, because Kelly Locks, I really thought, would have won that. Um, and we, we did not stay to uh, watch the championship game. We had to get on the road because it's such a long drive, like we've mentioned. And uh, mm -hmm. so, I, I did not get to watch it. But uh, from what I've heard, they, they were uh, hitting a lot of shots. So, uh, pretty much, like I said, kind of a Duke type of team, in my opinion. 
Braden, let's talk about some other teams out there. It was not a good showing for the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl, but they've really been active in free agency, and they seem to be intent upon putting a team on the field that can win Peyton Manning that second Super Bowl. You're you're definitely right. Um, upgrading that defense was uh, one of my main concerns going into this uh, off season, which you know they they of course have done so far. Um, although they just lost uh, No. Sean Marino today to the Dolphins, which I kind of did expect to happen. Uh, but we got some young tailbacks uh, that can uh, produce, I think, coming up in the future for us. Um, but as far as the defense goes, I think the defense has, has gotten a lot better. Um, but I, I still think they need to uh, grab a, a couple more players for that defensive side of the ball. Um, but overall, I think Denver, they can make another shot. But as far as uh, Peyton Manning goes, probably going to be his last year, last chance to get that Super Bowl ring. Braden, tell me, John Elway, of course, was a god out there as a player, and is there anything he can, you know, now as president, he's taken this team to a Super Bowl. Is there anything he can do in Colorado to really diminish his reputation? Uh, well, the guy's a heck of a quarterback, and, uh, you know, he, he did a great job. Well, he's done a great job so far as, as uh, operation, head operations of uh, what, what Denver does. I mean, when... You go out there, you get Peyton Manning, well, a player like Peyton Manning, one of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. You bring him to Denver uh, and take him to a Super Bowl uh, this year. Even though they didn't win, it was still fun to see them get there finally. Uh, first one in my lifetime that I've actually been able to watch. Um, and now you've got DeMarcus Flair coming. Uh, he's done such a great job in Denver that I don't think you can really uh, do much to ruin your reputation. reputation. Uh, unless, well, I don't think you can do anything, in fact. <laughs> well, you, you say that was the first in your lifetime. Let me tell you real quick. When I was out in Wyoming, I was one of two Cleveland Browns fans, and that was my wife and I. And they were constantly getting beat by Denver. And being on the radio in Gillette and getting beat by Denver, it did not make me very popular <laughs> <laughs> at the time. How's the baseball team look? How, how, are, the, how are the Rockies going to look this year, Braden? You know, I'm not uh, not really big into baseball. I, I usually only watch it in, in the uh, the postseason. And uh, to be quite honest, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan, so uh, I could talk more about the Cardinals than I could the Rockies with you. But uh, the Rockies, we, we we usually try to catch the Cardinals Rockies series game games every year. Uh, but unfortunately, we we were unable to last year. But um, you know, I think. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of on that that uh, the side of of where they need to go out and try to bring in a, a star or or upgrade their team a little more. Um, it just seems like they're kind of always you know mediocre uh, every year. It seems like. Okay, final question. I want you to be honest here. Tell me, is your team that you predicted to win the NCAA tournament still in? It is, in fact. Um, yes, I, I, uh, to be quite honest, it is. Um, I did choose Wisconsin to end up winning the whole thing, um, but I'm getting a little nervous based on their last game that they played. Um, but who knows? I, I think that they have the talent to do it. Uh, it has been mayhem this this uh, March so far, um, but they, they did get awful close there with Oregon. Uh, but they ended up pulling it out, 85 to 77, last game. Um, but I think that they have the talent to get it still. Um, but only time will tell, really, because <laughs> anything can happen in March, right? <laughs> it it can. It, it absolutely can. What's the temperatures out in Wyoming right now? Well, it uh, it did snow today, and uh, I think it was around 30 to 38 degrees today. Uh, I think that's what I saw on the Weather Channel, but. Um, yeah, it, it was cold today, and uh, you know, of course, yesterday we had uh, the type of weather where you could go running with your shirt off, and the next day it's snowing. So, classic Wyoming, right? Yeah, that's right, Braden. Your website is coachingthekid.com. Tell me, what do you try to cover on that website? Uh, yeah, so we uh, we have uh, several writers on there, and uh, we cover NFL, NBA. Uh, still don't have an MLB writer. Um, but we do call, uh, college sports as well, 
and uh, we're getting into our local sports as well, so uh, be sure to check that out. We also are doing a parallel bracket to the March Madness one. It's uh, the quarterback challenge one, and we're in our 2016 round, so uh, make sure you check that out too. And you you mentioned earlier you're up to about 4,000 uh, uh, followers on Twitter. What's your Twitter address? Uh, it's just at Coach and the Kid. Great. Braden Flack, hey, thanks a lot. It's been great uh, talking Wyoming sports with you. No problem. Anytime you need me, I'm uh, available. Appreciate it. We will definitely do that. Thanks a lot, Braden, for joining us here this evening. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Our thanks tonight to Braden Flack from thecoachofthekid.com for being our guest here tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Don't forget, coming up in just a little bit, we're also going to be speaking with Jen Rainwater, who is the Oakland A's reporter for Oaks A's Sox Girl, blogspot.com. But something interesting happened in college basketball this week, and it had virtually nothing to do with the NCAA tournament or the NIT. You see, Steve Massiello is the head coach at Manhattan University in New York. He had been an assistant for several years under Rick Pitino at the University of Louisville. But you see, Steve Massiello apparently had a secret, a secret that he had hidden for several years, and it didn't turn up until he was offered and accepted the head coaching position of the basketball team at the University of South Florida, taking the place of Stan Heath. You see, Massiello says on his resume that he graduated from the University of Kentucky in the year 2000. But apparently the University of Kentucky knows absolutely nothing about that. So, now what? The University of South Florida has withdrawn their offer of the head basketball coaching position to Massiello. And Manhattan University has put Massiello on administrative leave. Now, Kiernan Darcy of CBS Sports reports that Manhattan originally are the ones that dropped the ball on Massiello. Well, they clearly did not vet him uh, as closely as South Florida did. Um, you know, he was an assistant coach there for mm-hmm. several years at the beginning of his career. So when they hired him as the head coach in 2011, uh, they clearly already had a relationship with him and knew him pretty well. So uh, clearly, in both instances, uh, both when he was hired as an assistant coach and as a head coach, he wasn't vetted closely enough where they confirmed uh, whether or not he had graduated from Kentucky. Well, Manhattan has said that, you know, I just clarified a short time ago that he he never officially resigned from Manhattan. Uh-huh. He did have the uh, agreement in principle with South Florida, so that's why they were able to place him on leave. And, you know, where it stands now, uh, you know, he's, as Manhattan said in its statement, you know, he's reviewing his status, uh, his degree status at Kentucky. And Manhattan, I think, is probably waiting to hear what he comes back with. Nobody's been able to reach Steve for comment yet. But, uh, you know, Manhattan may also be waiting to see how this plays out from a PR standpoint. It's obviously a guy that's done really well on the job there at Manhattan. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I'm sure that a, a guy that, you know, they'd like to retain if they feel like they can trust him. But the question is, you know, will there be a public relations hit by the fact that they are going to retain a guy who clearly, you know, lied about his resume? It's obvious that Massiello is a good basketball coach. He learned under one of the best in Rick Pitino, as I said, and he has a 60-39 and 39 record in three years with the Manhattan Jaspers, and he got them to the NCAA tournament this year and came within seven points of beating the defending national champions. Now, I can look at Rick Pitino and I can say, okay, Massiello worked underneath you, and that was the prime reason that Manhattan gave him the job. After all, just look at Pitino's son in Minnesota. Are you going to tell me that Pitino's son would have had a shot at being the coach at the University of Minnesota if Rick Pitino was not his father? So what's the difference here? The difference is is that Richard Pitino in Minnesota has a degree, whereas Steve Masiello at Manhattan apparently does not. Uh, 
They're still looking into this. Massiello has not said one way or the other as to whether or not he does have the degree. But it's funny how Greg and I actually discussed this earlier this week. It wasn't necessarily about this subject, but it was about how kids nowadays are expected to go to college. And they're expected to get the degree. But the problem is, is that most kids 18 to 22 have absolutely no idea what they want to do for the rest of their lives. So when they go to college, they may want a degree in one subject, but end up doing something for the rest of their life in a profession that has absolutely nothing to do with their degree. So in all actuality, what good is the degree? Certainly you can have a degree in, let's just say, for example, accounting. But if you go into human resources, is it really applicable to what it is that you're doing? And also you could have a degree, just throwing something out in mathematics, but if you end up teaching music, what good is the mathematics degree? See, colleges, I understand where they're coming from on this point. They're in the business of giving students degrees. That's their prime responsibility. That's their business. They want to make sure that kids get their degree. So if they're going to hire somebody into their university, they need to make sure that these people have degrees also. They preach higher learning. That's what their job is. But their job is also to put fannies in the seats. Who really cared about Manhattan College until Masiello got them to the NCAA tournament. Who cared about Florida Gulf Coast a year ago until they made the NCAA tournament? Many people haven't even heard of Wichita State University. Butler a few years ago. Finally, people started to realize who they were. Now, I've got to say, in all honesty, I'm not sure if any of these players have graduated, or these former players, I should say, have graduated yet. But what if, and I'm just going to start rattling off some names, what if these guys wanted to coach? Would the college hire them without a degree? Magic Johnson, for example, if he wanted to get into the coaching world, do you think he'd have the opportunity to coach someplace just by throwing his name into the hat? Isaiah Thomas has already been a coach at the college level at Central Florida, but I'm not sure he ever graduated from the University of Indiana. He was only there for two years. Michael Jordan was only at the University of North Carolina for three years, but if Michael Jordan wanted to coach the North Carolina Tar Heels after Roy Williams leaves, do you think he'd be given that opportunity? And what about LeBron James? LeBron James could probably walk in and be an assistant coach after his playing days are over to Keith Dambrot at Akron U. Or he could even take over for Dambrot. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but LeBron James hasn't spent a day of his life in a university classroom. And I've seen this said all week long. We're in this world together. We're all competing for jobs. And what Massiello did was a betrayal to everyone who tries to compete the right way. Is that necessarily the case? Is your resume spotless? Is there a little white lie on it? Everybody tries to do the same thing with their taxes. And the thing about it is, is that if you start down this slope, it just continues to go. But I've also seen where Massiello didn't deserve to be a Manhattan assistant in 2001. He didn't deserve to sit on Patino's bench in 2005, and he didn't deserve the head coaching position at Manhattan in 2011. And I disagree with two of those three things. Rick Patino can put anybody on that bench beside him that he wants. It doesn't have to be someone who is degreed. And he wanted Steve Massiello because Massiello was a player under Patino. And Manhattan didn't have to hire Massiello as head coach, but they did it primarily because of his association with Rick Pitino. Yes, he got those jobs and somebody else didn't. But did he get those jobs primarily because he had a degree 
I doubt it. He got these jobs because he had worked under Rick Pitino, and that is why he was named head coach of Manhattan, and it was because of his success at Manhattan is why he was named the head coach at South Florida. It had absolutely nothing to do with him being a degreed individual. Did you happen to see the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers play last night? It was one of the biggest games in the regular season in the NBA this year, and it's primarily because the Indiana Pacers have a two-game lead over the Miami Heat in the NBA's Eastern Conference. And whoever wins that race, of course, will have home court advantage in the NBA playoffs on the Eastern Conference side throughout the entire playoff season. Well, Indiana now has a three-game lead because they beat the Miami Heat 84-83 last night. But what I thought was astounding was how physical this game was. It reminded me of the old Detroit-Chicago games 20 years ago when Chuck Daly had put on the Jordan rules and there was no doubt that the Detroit Pistons were going to try to kick Michael Jordan's butt. And last night, that is what Indiana did to LeBron James. They kicked his butt up and down the floor. But what was funny was how LeBron James was assessed an offensive foul when he drove into the lane and inadvertently hit Roy Hibbert with a elbow to the jaw, and it sent Roy Hibbert into la-la land. He had to go into the locker room and come back out to shoot the free throws and then go back into the locker room. He was definitely not all there. And you look at this Miami Heat team, and it's really interesting because I think the Heat are on their last legs. There are several rumors swirling. And just watch LeBron James right now. He appears disillusioned. Disillusioned with Chris Bosh. You know, I was speaking this morning with someone, and I said, Miami is the big three as long as D-Wade is playing the way D-Wade can play. But if Dwayne Wade goes down with a leg injury, that means Chris Bosh now suddenly is put into the number two role behind LeBron, and the number one or two defender on the team that they're facing that night is guarding Bosh, and Bosh goes into oblivion when that happens. But if Bosh is capable to play against the third or fourth defender on an opposing team, that's when he can flourish. So if D-Wade is playing the way D-Wade can play, the big three is the big three. But D-Wade is always the key. You know what you're going to get out of LeBron. But D-Wade, medically, is the wild card. And Chris Bosh tends to lean upon what D-Wade does. But, as I said, there are rumors swirling. Akron St. Vincent St. Mary was in another state title game this past weekend in the state of Ohio. And LeBron James is financing the new gym uh, renovations for... Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary. And the rumor is LeBron's wife wants their kids to graduate from Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary. So the question is, would LeBron James put up a million dollars of his own money to renovate a gymnasium that his kids are not going to take advantage of? And if that is the case, that his kids are going to take advantage of it, does that mean LeBron is coming back? Or will he stay away and go someplace else. Well, the Major League Baseball season has already begun. We talked about this last week. The Los Angeles Dodgers and Arizona Diamondbacks went to Australia last week, which was a very interesting proposition. And the Dodgers swept a two-game series from Arizona. Clayton Kershaw pitched the opening game down under and pitched extremely well. But the question is, why did Major League Baseball send these two teams, to Australia. Why play regular season games? It just seemed like it was ill-timed. Right now, the Dodgers are 2-0, and and nobody else has played a regular season game. 
And was there really a reason to play regular season games down under? Couldn't they have been just exhibition games, spring training games, with an edict from the commissioner that they play their normal players, the major league players? It could have been done that way. I doubt if they would have had any dent in the attendance had that happened. And of course, there's the long plane ride of about 12, 14 hours. And now Kershaw's out with an oblique injury for at least two weeks. Could the plane ride have had anything to do with that injury? And now the Dodgers are going to open up the season on Sunday night against the Padres. So technically, this will be their third game and a majority of Major League Baseball have not even played their first games. They'll open up on March 31st. As a matter of fact, the Cleveland Indians will be opening up against the Oakland Athletics. As I said, the Major League Baseball season is about set to begin. Actually, it's already begun for the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, but the Cleveland Indians are going to be opening up against the Oakland A's out in California on Monday night. And joining us now... From OKSoxGirlBlogspot.com and OutsidePitchMLB.com, Jen Rainwater. She is the Oakland A's reporter. Jen, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing just great. Now tell me, my prediction show is coming up on Monday night. I have picked Oakland not to win the division for the last two years. If I pick them this year, will I be jinxing them, Jen? You might, because I'm superstitious like that. However, um, I'm picking them to win the ALS for the third straight year. Okay, so tell me why you're picking them to win the West. They've lost some pitching. They've lost Bartolo Colon. They've also lost Jared Parker to Tommy John surgery. So on paper, they look weaker than they have the last couple of years. What makes them the pick to win the West? I wouldn't exactly say they're weaker, um, yes, we did lose Cologne, and he won 18 games last season. And with Parker out, that's not as big of a deal as I, to me as it is to some people. Um, personally, I really have a lot of faith in Dan Straley. He finished fourth in Rookie of the Year voting last year pretty much out of nowhere. Um, I really like uh, Scott Casimir. I like that acquisition by Billy Bean. And um, it just he has to, he's pitched well in spring training, and I'd like to – he just has to prove himself to be healthy during the regular season. Scott Casimir was a great pickup for the A's. Yeah, I agree with you. Scott Casimir was great. I mean, that's a lot of money for the A's to spend on the pitcher, but I think it's a good gamble for Billy. He proved in Cleveland last year that he was starting to get back to his old form. He's still young. He's only, I think, 30 years old, and um, he can lead this young rotation. And we've got Sonny Gray. Um, Sonny Gray, to me, is going to be the next big thing. My bold prediction is that he's going to make a run for the AL Cy Young Award this year against the Tigers in the ALDS last season. Or last last season, he pitched against Verlander twice. In the first, um, in Game Two, he matched him eight shutout innings and eleven strikeouts each. In Game Three, he had no offensive. Um, help, but if he had, like, if we'd been able to hit Verlander, which we've proven we really can't the past two years, in any other circumstance, Sonny Gray would have won that game. He only gave up three runs and six hits. So I think if you're looking at Sonny Gray and people are saying, and I even wondered myself why Melvin would pick Jared Parker to start opening day, I would have automatically picked Sonny Gray without even thinking about it. There's, he's been in the big pressure situations. And I would call being against Verlander twice in the postseason when you've only played half of a season in the major leagues pressure situations. So I don't think opening day is going to phase him at all. I think he's going to be fine, and we'll probably win that game. Jen Rainwater, our guest tonight, talking about the Oakland A's for this year. Jen, of course, uh, I guess the big story for Oakland is the change in closers, going from Grant Balfour to Jim Johnson. What's the difference between those two? I'm a little worried, to be honest, about Jim Johnson. Um, he's given up a few runs this spring that I'm not too sure about, and I don't know that much about him as a closer. All I know is that he's had the most saves in the major leagues for the past couple of years. But um, with Balfour, we had the Balfour rage in Oakland. We had, you know, he's got that intensity that I don't know that I'm going to see from Johnson. So I'm a little 
worried about that transition, but Johnson has a good record, so I think it'll be pretty. He should just he should be pretty solid. To the average baseball fan, Jen Josh Donaldson came out of nowhere for Oakland last year. What is he bringing to the table this year, and can he continue to improve? I believe he'll at least produce how he produced last year. He hit 301. He is the most amazing defensive third baseman I've seen in a long time. I mean, obviously, there's Manny Machado. And then if you go back in the A's, there's Eric Chavez, who won six Golden Gloves in a row. But Josh Johnson pushes himself to the level, and he's got a really high intensity when he plays. And he's going to make that catch every time. Like, there was this catch last season where he jumped. He had to run through our foul territory in Oakland, which is the most foul territory in baseball, mm-hmm. and jump over the tarps and basically into the stands, and he still came up with the ball, and it was one of the coolest plays I've ever seen. I just think he can continue to improve. He just has to stay healthy and hopefully keep hitting the way he hit last year. Of course, one of the first and biggest Cuban defectors has been Yanis Cespedes, who is a guy that I was hoping the Indians would go out and sign, and Oakland came out of nowhere to pick him up. He's been quite a ball player for the last two years, but is he, two years ago he had 82 RBIs, last year 80. Is he ready to crack that 100 RBI mark now? He actually was the person I picked as a player to worry about because he hasn't done very well this spring. He just finally hit his first home run um, maybe like one or two games ago. He says he's shortened his swing and is just working on his timing, so if that is the case, then he should be all right and be able to break that 100 RBI mark and continue to hit home runs. I'd like to see him hit 30-plus this season. I think the A's would benefit greatly from that, Um, like Brandon Moss did last year. That was a shocker. So, um, But getting Cespedes was a great pickup, and we did come out of nowhere to get him. Jen Rainwater is our guest here tonight on Ultimate Sports Talk. Jen, tell me about Josh Reddick and where he stands coming into this season now. He actually started out slumping last season at the beginning of the season before his wrist injury, which makes me nervous, but he still made a run at the gold glove even with the wrist injury that he had. He suffered it in Houston in early April. He slammed into a wall, and um, his swing and his wrist were never the same. He waited too long to go on the disabled list. He had surgery in the off season. He reported to camp healthy, and he's been productive so far in um, the spring. So I think he's going to come back and have a year like he did in 2012, a breakout it was his breakout year. And I think he can come back from, from 2013. I think it was mostly injury related. And um, I think our main concern in general is hitter, hitting with runners in scoring position, because when I think of Reddick, the last thing I remember was in game three of the ALDS last season, he had the bases loaded, a full count, and he swung on a low ball four. And it's like things like that that need to be taken care of for the A's. But um, Reddick, I think, can come back and have a good season again. And he was also in the running for the Gold Glove last year. He didn't win. Shane Vittorino took it. but um, So he could still play defensively even with the broken wrist. And so in this spring, again, in the first game against the Giants, he made two – unbelievable catches like I've never seen. He scaled a 10-foot fence and robbed um, the Giants of two home runs in one game, almost the exact same catch. It was pretty incredible. So he's got the defensive skills, and if his wrist was what was causing his offensive woes last season, then he should be fine. You know, again, to the average baseball fan, Bob Melvin, the manager of the A's, appears to be quiet and and, and really not very assuming what makes him the perfect manager for this A's team, and how does he seem to bring out the best in their talent? I can't even describe the difference that Bob Melvin has made with for the A's since I think it was mid-2012. He is just an all-around positive guy. He keeps everybody happy. I mean, I like the way he platoons people and he gives everybody a chance, and he manages differently than most managers and and it makes it work with this like team that we have. We have we don't have any like superstars or power major power hitters or anything like that, but he has just a team a lineup that he can make every day that can go out there and can win a game. 
Well, then, of course, you've got the guy that puts this team together, Mr. Moneyball himself, Billy Bean. Is he the best GM in baseball, Jen? Absolutely, by far. People might say no, but, I mean, and there are, there are some close ones, you know. But I think Billy Bean, he, I mean, look, he picked up Scott Casimir, which, like you said, was a great acquisition for the A's. And he spent more money than we would normally spend on a single player. But I think it's going to work out. You know, Billy knows something. And I think it's interesting that um, Grant Balfour failed his physical with the Orioles right after we got Jim Johnson from them. It's like, is Grant really healthy? Does Billy have some sort of intuition that we didn't already, you know, as fans or, you know, people watching um, that we weren't aware of? So maybe Grant was – because Grant struggled at the end of last year. He didn't blow his save till midseason, and then he blew his second save in Detroit um, in a four-game series that we were about to sweep. And then after that, he wasn't quite the same. He was still the Grant Balfour that we love and the Grant Balfour that we raged for. But um, I don't know. I think Billy saw some things. So I think the Jim Johnson trade actually was a good one, and especially just to give up to Mile Weeks because he has not been productive at all. Um, That was a good move on Billy's part, and he's never failed us. We have a saying in Oakland, and Billy, we trust. And so we just go with it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jen, Jen Rainwater, our guest tonight. Jen, final question. I've got to ask you. When you come out with your predictions, who's going to be the two teams that face off in the World Series this year? I have who I would like to see. And then there's, you know, the, with the A's records, I'd love to see them in the World Series facing either, I want to say maybe the Washington Nationals or the Dodgers. The A's do have a problem getting past the ALDS. The last time they did that was in 2006, and then they lost to the Tigers in the seven-game series, which we seem to do a lot, lose to the Tigers. Um, I think the key to the A's getting to the World Series, I think it's possible, and it's pro- it could, it's a very good possibility, but they need to just have offense in the playoffs, and we haven't seemed to have been able to get that together in the last couple of years. But I would say, like, I'd love to see a Dodgers-A's World Series. Jen, tell us how to follow you on Twitter. What's your address? My Twitter uh, handle is at O-A-K-A-S-S-O-C-K-S-G-R-L. So it's Oak A's Sox Girl. Jen Rainwater, thanks for joining us tonight on Ultimate Sports Talk. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Our thanks to Jen Rainwater again for being our guest here tonight. She's the blogger for the Oakland A's and the American League Western Division on Oak A's Sox Girl dot blogspot dot com. So let's take a look at the opening week, the opening night games for Major League Baseball. As I said on Sunday, there are two games. The Kansas City Royals will be in Houston, and the Dodgers will be playing in San Diego on the ESPN Sunday night game of the week. Now on Monday, the Cleveland Indians open up Monday night in Oakland against the Athletics, and the Cincinnati Reds will be at home at Great American Ballpark, and they'll be taking on the St. Louis Cardinals. Here's the rest of the schedule. In the early afternoon, it's the Cubs traveling to Pittsburgh to take on the Pirates. Kansas City will be in Detroit. The Nationals will be in New York to take on the Mets. Philadelphia goes to Texas to play the Rangers. The Atlanta Braves will be in Milwaukee playing the Brewers. And the Boston Red Sox, Grady Sizemore is their new center fielder, will be in Baltimore taking on the Orioles. The late afternoon games... The Minnesota Twins are in Chicago playing the White Sox, and the Blue Jays will be at Tampa Bay playing the Rays. The early evening games on Monday, Colorado goes to Miami to play the Marlins, and at late night, it's San Francisco at Arizona, and the Seattle Mariners will be in Los Angeles to take on the Los Angeles Angels. And that's going to do it for tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Glad to have you along this evening. Our thanks to our guests here tonight, of course, Braden Flack from out in Rock Springs, Wyoming, from CoachingTheKid.com, and Jen Rainwater, the Oakland A's reporter, talking to us about the Oakland A's and their chances of winning the American League West this year again for the third straight year. Hey, don't forget our Ohio Baseball Weekly show on Monday night at 9 o'clock. 
we will be bringing in our Major League predictions that night. It should be a very interesting evening. And join Mark Donahue and I with that show, 9 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And, of course, that's going to do it for us tonight. Our thanks to Braden Flack and Jen Rainwater, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening to tonight's show. Kick back and watch some basketball tonight. The Sweet 16 gets cut down to the Elite Eight this weekend. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until then, good night, everybody.